Our special guest this week is uh, Rebecca Black, a psychologist who we are going to talk to about COVID-19 and the impact it has on our mental health. Welcome to Hawk Talk, Rebecca. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm happy to be here. Now, before we start discussing COVID-19, perhaps we can just give you an opportunity to give an overview of your professional background and, and where you practice. No worries. So uh, like Lindsay said, I'm a psychologist. Um, I've worked a lot in government organisations. So early in my career, I worked for Victoria Police and the Department of Justice. Um, but since then, since I've had kids, I've started my own private practice, my solo private practice. So I work with a wide range of clients um, with varying presenting issues in my practice in Heathmont. I've done a bit of work with Eastern Rangers football clubs. I've done some mental health workshops and presentations at the footy club and have often got referrals of the young people um, that need extra support with mental health issues, predominantly things like anxiety and depression, relationship stuff, um, different transitions through life. So um, lots of different things, but yeah, that's a bit about the work that I do. Okay, thanks for that, Rebecca. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted our life greatly, the way we live, the way we work, and probably many of us are feeling some degree of stress, confusion and fear, all of which are normal reactions. So how and why does that impact on our, our mental health and in some cases lead to pretty extreme um, cases of anxiety, panic attacks and even depressive episodes? Yeah, well, like you said, it's really normal for everybody to experience, be experiencing some level of stress and anxiety and fear at the, at the current time. Um, it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy times we're living in at the moment. But I guess I think it's important to recognise that one in four Australians experience a mental health condition. Um, so a lot of us are already struggling with mental health issues and then the changes that have occurred since COVID are really just going to exacerbate and make those things a lot worse. Um, so I think those people that already suffer from mental health are going to um, be more greatly affected. And then those with generally good mental health uh, are also likely to be impacted. I think it's being made worse by the overconsumption of media um, and the real hype that um, that's out there. And I think we can really um, make, sorry, that's my daughter in the background, um, just a little cry there. Um, it can really be made worse by watching the news a lot um, and over-consuming those things that are really going to heighten our anxiety. I also think the fear of the unknown is a massive factor um, and we can get really caught up in worrying about, um, I guess, what's going to happen in the future, when are we going to be able to do certain things that we're not allowed to do at the moment, um, and really just the unknown of how, how it's all going to play out. Um, and then finally, I really think the, the isolation and the lack of connection with others, especially through that period where we were in lockdown or weren't allowed to go out much, that's really going to exacerbate um, our mental health difficulties um, during this time. So then how do we recognise if, if either ourselves or someone we know is actually having some difficulties coping with um, the impact of COVID and, and what are the early signs that people should be looking for? Really good question. I think the, the first thing I would say is tune into whether you or 
the person you're worried about it has changed significantly from their usual behavior so that's probably the key thing uh, is there some real differences in how they're presenting um, compared to usual but there's things that you can look out for so um, if somebody's really struggling to find motivation um, or energy levels if they're really lacking in energy that can be a sign that they're struggling if you notice that they're sad or emotional um, even things like dietary changes, uh, like overeating or undereating, uh, sleeping a lot or not sleeping much at all, those things can be signs that we're struggling with our mental health. Um, we might find that we're not enjoying things as much as we used to. Uh, we also might find that we're just really agitated or irritable. Although I want to say that it's normal that we're going to experience some of these things, but it's really just keeping an eye on those things and seeing if they're um, really getting in the way of us being able to live our life um, the way we want to live it. And also one more thing, I would also keep an eye on your or your loved one's use of drugs or alcohol because that can also be a really big coping strategy uh, when people are struggling to overuse in those areas. Um, so that's another thing to keep an eye on. Okay, so what, what would you recommend we do to try and help protect our mental health um, during the COVID period? And what, was, what should we do if we, we think someone that we care about is, is starting to struggle? Uh, well, for your first question, I would say create, creating healthy habits is probably the most important thing. The, the small things we do each day that can help foster positive mental health. Um, so things like exercise or moving our body, getting out of the house um, and getting some fresh air is really important. So exercise has actually been shown to be just as effective as antidepressants to treat mild to moderate depression. So exercise is a big one that's really going to help our mood. Uh, sleep is also a really important factor um, and has a massive impact on our mental health. So really supporting ourselves to get adequate sleep um, and creating healthy habits around our sleep behaviours. Um, and then I'd say connecting with loved ones. We're social beings and we really experience poor mental health when we disconnect from others. Um, so whether it's your check-in with loved ones, family members, friends, making that a daily process to, to ensure that you're looking after yourself. The second question you asked was, what should we do if we think someone is struggling? Ask them, check in with them. You know, that the, the Are You OK Day is an amazing um, organisation. So really just checking in with people if we're worried about them and genuinely asking if they're OK, giving them space to share how they're feeling and, and us genuinely listening to what's going on for them is the most important thing. Um, and then we can support them in finding what might help them get through what they're experiencing. Yeah, we're, we're a junior football club, so most of our members, uh, we've got 400 boys and girls who play at the club. So um, might ask you some questions that uh, focus on children and, and perhaps can give us, you can give us some advice um, for parents. Fear and anxiety will probably be higher in children, I suspect, given what you said earlier about misinformation and the hysteria in the media and, and on social media. 
So what role can parents play to, to help their children through these difficult times? I think the most important thing with kids is to really acknowledge and normalise their fear and anxiety. So we want them to feel heard and understood um, and, and letting them know that it's okay to feel nervous or anxious about going out um, and that it is a scary time in the world at the moment. But I also think it's important to have honest conversations with them about what is going on, obviously dependent on their developmental level. Um, so try and give them accurate information but not not buy into the hype that's, that's I guess, in social media and on the news. Um, trying to keep it quite brief but factual um, and then really helping them focus on what's in their control. So what can they do to stay safe? What are we doing as a family to protect ourselves so they can feel quite empowered and in control of um, what's happening rather than focusing on all of these really big, scary things that are out of their control? And then you were spoken about social media, but I'd really just recommend to limit their use of social media, TV, um, and kind of engaging in that content too frequently because that's really just going to make their anxiety and their fear worse. What about but what about children when they they're using social media to stay in contact with their friends? Oh, look, this is this is a um, a massive conversation and a massive challenge as a parent. I don't think there's an easy answer to that, um, and obviously, there's going to be limitations in terms of how we can limits their use. Um, I, I would say, depending on the age range, you know, limiting their, their time allowed on social media, monitoring, uh, making sure what they're engaging in is safe, um, you know, giving them certain times in the day where they're allowed to use social media to connect with, with their friends and, and use it for their enjoyment, but having clear boundaries around what's acceptable and what's um what's allowed in the family, I think, is really important. Okay. But what about now that children have returned to school and there's been easing of the restrictions as well? Some children might be a bit, even though they've been back now for a couple of weeks, say they might be overly anxious about the return to school. How can parents identify that their children might be overly anxious about going back to school and, and being out in the real world? Yeah, Re really good question. I think the most obvious sign is uh, avoidant behaviour. So when anybody's feeling anxious, the most common response to a high level of anxiety is to avoid the thing that's making them anxious. So that might look like school refusal, so they are really refusing to go or really don't want to go to school. You might even notice that they don't want to go leave the house or go to the supermarket or are just really showing uh, an avoidance of wanting to do things or, or kind of go out. Um, they might experience significant levels of distress uh, when going back to school or when leaving the house, like I said. So things like crying or tantrums might be anger outbursts or real kind of severe irritability. Um, and then there's the withdrawal behaviours. So they might shut down and stop talking as much as they used to, withdrawing from activities, not doing their homework, not sleeping, not eating as much as they would usually eat. Um, so there's quite a few different signs to, to look out for, I guess. And then how can the parents help their children through that 
anxiety period and, and, and help them get through it. Like I said before, I think the most important thing to do is validate and acknowledge what they're experiencing. Really um, put yourself in their shoes and show them that you understand why they're feeling that way. So this is um, showing empathy to our kids. We want them to feel acknowledged in the emotions that they're experiencing. And we do that by listening to what's really going on for them and trying to just connect with them. Um, I think what parents often do and most of us do is the first thing we try and do is to solve or to fix the problem. But the first step really is just that connection, listening and understanding what they're experiencing. And then once you've done that, then you can try and support them to move through it. So I said earlier, focusing on what you can control. So what is it that they can put in place to, um, I guess, focus on keeping them more safe and things that are going to make them feel more comfortable Um, you can help them learn some, I guess, mindfulness techniques. So that's about um, learning to be more in the present moment rather than worrying about the future, stressing about the past. We want them to do some deep breathing techniques or really tune into the here and now, um, which helps get them out of their head. Um, And I can, you know, if you're interested in learning more about mindfulness, there's lots of stuff online about mindfulness. Um, And then I guess the more professional supports that are out there are linking in with your GP and maybe thinking about seeing a psychologist if you think it's really severe. Okay, thanks, Rebecca. Now, you've stressed how being connected with family and friends is um, quite important, but where can someone turn if they feel they're still completely alone and they don't, they don't have that family and friends connection? Um, where can they turn for assistance and advice? So there's a few really great mental health organisations that you can link in with. So the two that I always recommend are Beyond Blue. So Beyond Blue have uh, an amazing website, lots of resources and lots of online support available. They also have a um, telephone counselling service. Uh, The other one I often recommend is Lifeline. So that's another telephone crisis support service that you can call. So some really great um, free services to get good information, reputable information and connect in and actually talk to somebody about what you're going through. Um, but then I would say for a more long-term um, long-term support, I would go to your GP. They're really the first port of call if you're having difficulties with your mental health. Um, they can assist you with a mental health care plan and then they can refer you to a psychologist or a counsellor or somebody in the mental health space to get that real professional support with what um, what you're experiencing or what your child's experiencing. And just one follow-up to that. What, what's, what actually is a mental health plan that you get from your GP? Good. Um, so basically they'll do a brief assessment of your mental health and if you Uh, If they find that you're eligible, they will give you a mental health care plan. This uh, provides you 10 rebated sessions per calendar year to see a psychologist. So some psychologists bulk bill, which means you could um, get 10 free sessions for the year. Most private psychologists, there's a gap payment, so um, you need to pay some of the money, but it's... um, you, you get quite a significant rebate back on those sessions, um, so 10 sessions per year um, to see somebody. 
Thanks, Rebecca. That's great information for our uh, listeners and parents. Now, a couple of uh, general questions about mental health. For a long time, mental health has had a, a fairly um, a stigma attached and it has prevented a lot of people from probably speaking up. We've become a lot more aware of our mental health because of the COVID-19 situation. Do you think this is going to help to remove that stigma and, and, and get people to talk more about their feelings, their emotions and, and the difficulties they're having day to day? Or do we still have a long way to go in terms of removing that stigma? I really hope so. I think I'm actually, I've been quite impressed um, with the response to COVID and the support that's being provided and the focus that's being provided on assisting people with their mental health and well-being. I think the government's, you know, increased their funding to a lot of mental health services over this time. And I think that a lot of people really are talking a lot more about mental health and mental illness because it's affecting everybody. Mental health, I think a lot of people think mental illness or mental health only is only relevant for, for certain people or that one in four, but we all have mental health and we all need to nurture and look after our mental health. And I think that's been the real shift since COVID started, that it's important for everybody. And, and I think that's really going to help change the stigma um, so that people will start acknowledging it, talking about it more, checking in with their friends and family if they notice that there's something, um, something different about their behaviour. So I'm, I'm really hopeful, yeah. So any final thoughts or comments or uh, anything, anything that you would like to reinforce about the impact of COVID-19 on our mental health? I guess similar to what I was just saying, I think that we all have mental health and we all need to prioritise looking after our mental health and develop specific techniques and strategies that we can implement on a daily and weekly basis to foster positive mental health. And I really like the idea of preventative as well. So doing things now to maintain your mental health and well-being if you're travelling well um, to prevent the likelihood of you experiencing a mental illness. And then if you do have a mental illness or you, you think you might, reach out for support. There's so many services out there that can help um, and there's no shame in it. So just, just picking up on the, the daily activities to maintain your mental health, what, what sort of activities are you, are you suggesting there? Well, like I said earlier, the exercise, um, so getting your body moving, making sure you're eating well so our diet can have a massive impact on our mental health, sleep behaviours, you know, mindfulness activities, connecting with friends and family. Um, so there's lots of things that we can do. It might even be your, your daily coffee is your time just to relax and unwind. Little things that you do each day to fill your cup up that, um, that are going to help you, you, I guess, maintain positive mental health. Thanks, Rebecca. I appreciate your time and the insight you've given us about managing our, our mental health and the advice you've provided to our parents to, to help their, support their children through the pandemic. So thanks for your time. All the best, Rebecca. No worries, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and like I said earlier, I am based um, in Heathmont in my private practice, so feel free to share my contact details with your listeners. I'd be more than happy to, um, to have a chat and see if I, I can support you or your kids. I usually um, see kids over kind of 
12 or 14. I don't do really young kids. Um, I don't specialise in that area, but I'd be more than happy to support um, people if they need extra help. Thanks, Rebecca. That's great.